Hi everyone, my name is Icy Liu. Thanks for listening to Ungrafted, a podcast about wine, humanity, and the planet. If you enjoy listening to our episodes, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Today we will be broaching a subject that might make you uncomfortable: the relationship between alcohol and cancer. The reason for this discussion is personal. I was diagnosed with breast cancer this October. The causes of breast cancer are debated, but it's pretty clear that alcohol does not help. So, how do I continue a life now devoted to wine? What is the suitable balance between my passion and its risks? The opinions of doctors vary considerably on the subject. Today, I welcome Amy Christine, Master of Wine, owner of Holus Bolus Winery, and sales representative in Los Angeles for Kermit Lynch. Amy wrote an insightful and personal article about her journey with breast cancer. Which is included in the episode's notes. We are joined by Pat Farrell, Master of Wine and Doctor of Medicine. Our conversation will highlight some research on the causes of certain cancers, including alcohol. Please be aware that what we discuss is for informational purposes only. Everyone's different. Everyone's family history is different. It is important that you consult your own doctor for medical advice. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode where we talk about wine and cancer、um, with Amy Christine, Master of Wine, and Pat Farrell, Master of Wine and Doctor of Medicine. Yes, you heard that right. Pat, are you the first MWMD in the world, or are you the only? I believe so. Yes. Okay. So, Amy, maybe we could start with you introducing yourself, and then Pat. Yes, so I、um, also had breast cancer. I see, which I think is how we made this connection. I was diagnosed back in October of 2017 and had a left breast mastectomy in January of 2018. And I started down the rabbit hole of research, just like you did, trying to figure out how I con- might have contributed to this diagnosis. I had some other pre-existing.、Um, uh, I, I don't want to say con,、uh, con, conditions, but I certainly had a.、Uh, I was going to have a proclivity for having breast cancer, so、um, I started doing a lot of research. I started talking to friends about it, and every friend that I talked to told me that I was being paranoid.、Um, and these are friends in the wine business. I felt strongly that no one wanted to admit that there was a link between、um, wine. Alcohol consumption. Wine is an alcohol, after all, and breast cancer. But there is indeed one. And every year that went by, there seemed to be another study that was showing that this correlation was true. So I started proselytizing a little bit to my、uh, to my friends. No one was really willing to listen. So I wrote this article. I submitted it to a couple organizations. Um, one of whom got back to me and said, "You know, it's just it's just the the research、um, isn't conclusive," and so they didn't want to publish my article.、Um, the Inst- Institute of Masters of Wine, likewise, did not want to do a session on wine and health、um, at the symposium in Rioja. I was on that planning committee, and there seemed to be a I'm not going to say confusion. They thought it would be too depressing to、um, to put this information out there, and I just feel very strongly that as women and and men, for that matter, that we really Need to know the facts so that we can make、um, our own judgment. You know, we can, we can make our own decisions for our health. You know, like one of the things that I was I wrote in my article that we were just talking about. I see is I'm not here to judge anybody. We're not here to judge anybody, but people should have the information so that they can make decisions that are best for themselves, for their partners, and for their bodies. I'm a physician by training and am board certified in ophthalmology and internal medicine. 
I spent a, a lot of time at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center during my training at Cornell's teaching hospitals in New York City. And I'm also a master of wine. I love, I love wine and uh, uh, have done a ton of research into uh, wine and health ever since I passed BMW in 1998. What was interesting is that in the late 1980s and early 1990s, there was a spate of research and activity in the press regarding the French paradox, which showed that moderate wine consumption was associated with decreased risk of coronary artery disease. And the industry was very happy to promote that and use that to promote wine sales. And the sales of red wine in the United States and and in many other parts of the globe uh, picked up as wine was viewed as a healthy alcoholic beverage. It's a two-edged sword. For a long time, it's been known that alcohol is associated with a whole range of uh, cancers, uh, cancers of the mouth, of the esophagus, of the stomach, of the colon, and breast. Recent data has called into uh, whether or not the French paradox was fully fully true. I think that aspects of it remain true. But uh, with regard to uh, breast cancer, the data is very strong that daily wine consumption is associated with breast cancer. And the more that a woman drinks, the more apt she's to develop breast cancer. So, so, so that all said, major risk factors for breast cancer are uh, being female. Males get it as well, but women much more so. Age is much more common in people over the age of, of 50. It's associated with being out of shape, uh, being overweight or obese, uh, having a poor diet. Association with alcohol remains. And then these risk factors don't exist in vacuums, uh, they are cumulative. So if somebody, it's worse to be overweight, inactive, smoke cigarettes, and uh, drink copious amounts of alcohol every day. And then, uh, Amy, do you have anything else to add about breast cancer? So we know that women have on average about a 12% risk of developing breast cancer in her lifetime. And there is a great study, um, a cumulative study of the World Cancer Research Fund that was published in 2017 that estimates that one drink a day increases that risk by about half a percent for premenopausal women. So that's not so bad, right? One drink a day, not so terrible. Two drinks a day increases that risk uh, by about 14%. And three or more drinks a day, that risk to almost 19%. So this results in, if we're drinking uh, three drinks or more a day, a 63% increase in risk for developing breast cancer with, a, with the consumption of three or more drinks a day compared on the, to the average risk of developing breast cancer. However, I do want to say that the risk overall is still below 20%. So this means that you have an 80% chance in your lifetime, even if you consume three or more alcoholic beverages a day, um, that your alcohol consumption will not result in breast cancer. So I just think people should take that information, should make a decision about how they want, you know, just to, just to live their lives on a weekly basis. You know, how much wine am I going to consume? What is the risk? As Pat said, what are my other risk factors? There are certainly family history, ob- obesity, sedentary lifestyle, as Pat was saying, contributes to that. And so I feel like if we just have these facts, we can then stop it, you know, make a decision for ourselves about right. how we want to live. You know, and these things besides being interrelated in terms of risk, are also interrelated in other ways, right? So alcohol uh, stimulates appetite and makes food taste better. And and so if you're drinking uh, alcohol every day, you're walking around constantly with a stimulated appetite and you're 
more apt to eat more and to and to gain weight. Right. Well, I can certainly attest to that. Whenever I do drink, I do get hungry. Can you guys talk a little bit about why there is a correlation between alcohol and breast cancer? Like, what does it do um, in our bodies? Alcohol increases estrogen production, and that shows up as increased estrogen levels in blood and in uh, urine samples. Uh, And estrogen has been shown to be uh, linked to uh, increased breast cancer risk. So women who uh, have had menstrual periods for longer periods of time, getting their period before age 11, not going into menopause until age 55, are in an increased risk of, of breast cancer. Alcohol also works probably in a multitude of ways. Uh, the metabolism of alcohol goes to acetaldehyde, and acetaldehyde is a uh, is a carcinogen. And alcohol may also be uh, involved in changing um how cell membranes work. And when we talk about alcohol, does that, is hard alcohol with higher alcoholic levels worse or how does that work? There are compounds in whiskey that don't exist in wine. There have been a couple of studies that suggested, and this is only only, uh, suggested, that uh, small amounts of wine intake uh, may be protective for breast cancer compared to other alcoholic types. But again, that's just a, you know, a, a blip in a sea of, of data. The bottom line in all these things is just the amount of alcohol. So spirits are going to have much more alcohol per unit volume than, uh, than wine, uh, and then wine more so than, than beer. Right. With uh, breast cancer, I think just uh, to leave the session with, with a common sense plan, uh, that for all of us, right, not only looking at breast cancer, but heart disease and living a healthy lifestyle, striving to have a normal weight, exercising uh, most days, and keeping alcohol consumption uh, on a moderate level when we consume alcohol and striving to have at least a couple of days a week without any alcohol, uh, eating a good amount of fruits and vegetables, uh, minimizing the amount of uh, saturated fats, trans fats, and red meat in our diet, and that you know, and, and those would be recommendations for many, you know, for most people. Generally, that's a healthier lifestyle, and that it's a recommendation for people who have had a history of breast cancer uh, to try to diminish the risk of the breast cancer coming back. Okay, and then what about head and neck cancer? Anything that the that comes in contact with alcohol is going to uh, be at increased risk of malignancy. So, the mouth, the throat, the esophagus, uh, the intestines uh, have an increased risk of um, of cancer with alcohol consumption. It's made much worse with uh, smoking, and then there's you know uh, the leading cause of of head and neck uh, oral cancers now is uh, human papillomavirus. So, so alcohol is definitely a player. Other things are perhaps uh, a bit more potent in causing them. Uh, chewing tobacco is one of the worst things people can do. This follows just what Pat said. There was a study published by the Journal of National Cancer Institute in 2007 that showed that among those who, who never smoked but consumed three or more alcoholic beverages a day, there was an increased risk of developing head and neck cancers compared to a control group of, non, uh, of non-drinkers. So this just goes to show again that the three drinks a day, the amount that we're consuming is definitely linked to increased head and neck cancer. 
human beings, not only just just people in the in the wine industry, want to hear good news and they want to hear information that sort of backs up their their view of the world, right? So it's easier to knocking back wine, thinking, ah, this is protecting my heart. I'm doing a healthy thing, as opposed to saying, ah, I'm knocking back wine, but I could be increasing my risk of these different forms of of uh, cancer. So again, living in the LA basin, as both Amy and I do, going out and breathing the air on certain days increases your risk of of heart disease and and lung cancer. So part of you know, living life not as a not as a monk in a monastery uh, implies looking at risk, trying to look at it from an objective point of view, and deciding uh, what level of risk you're comfortable with. In, in, in really any of these uh, uh, lifestyle uh, decisions. Right. I'll move on to colon and rectal cancer. Pat? Again, there may have been some studies that spirits may be a little bit worse. Tied in with uh, cigarette smoking increases the risk of colorectal cancer. My mother died of colorectal cancer, so I've have been a, you know, have followed the literature for a long period of time. I think that eating cured meats and red meat is more of a risk than than alcohol. But again, these things tend to be uh, cumulative. The advice is for people to exercise, eat a healthy diet, keep their weight within a a reasonable range, not smoke. And if they're going to drink alcohol, to drink alcohol moderately. And just, you know, as a side note, you know, the uh, studies on wine and coronary artery disease, green tea does the same thing without the alcohol. So somebody wanted a beverage to try to prevent heart disease, green tea is better than red wine. It doesn't taste quite as good, <laughs> but is uh, better better at that, any cardioprotective effects. And Pat, you drink decaf green tea, right? You don't even drink caffeinated, and decaf green tea has the same benefits? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Decaf green tea has the same benefits. It's the, uh, the polyphenols in green tea function much in the same way as the polyphenols in chocolate, the polyphenols in fruits and vegetables, the polyphenols in red wine or white wines that have had skin contact all function basically in, uh, by the same mechanisms. And then, Amy, you also had some uh, research that you found? There was a study in 2006. It was actually a compilation of many studies that showed a link Uh, between what researchers deemed as high alcohol consumption and colon and rectal cancers. Their estimate of high alcohol consumption was basically anything that was over half an ounce to five ounces per week. I can assure um, um, all of you that I drink more than five ounces of wine a week, which would be about one small glass of, of wine. And most of us in the trade probably do. So the study showed that for every 100 grams or about three and a half ounces of alcohol, consumed over that low alcohol consumption per week, that there was a 15% increase in the incidence of colon and rectal cancers. So if you just keep doing that math on every time you drink three and a half ounces, and then another three and a half ounces, and another three and a half ounces, the incidence, you know, I mean, the, the, the risk increases greatly. Now, I would assume that colon cancer is the second greatest risk uh, to women and men after breast cancer for alcohol consumption. Um, maybe Pat, you can uh, you can comment on that. It's not head and neck cancer, and it's not liver cancer. So we should be looking out for our colons and taking care of our colons too, as we sort of think about our our wine consumption. 
and and part of protecting your colon is eating a healthy diet, seeing a gastroenterologist, getting screened, following National Cancer Institute and NIH recommendations regarding screening. What is that? It used to be that from age 50 or so, somebody would get their first colonoscopy. So interestingly, and not in a positive way, more young people are coming down with colon cancer. So they, there's been a movement of those of that starting date for screening to come down. And then uh, for younger people to realize that they can, if they start having blood in their, uh, in their stool or they're having symptoms, they're having cramping, they're having pain, that that's not, nothing to ignore and a reason for them to go and see their doctor. Okay. Well, at the same, uh, you know, along the same lines, like I believe in the U.S., age 40 is when you're supposed to get your first mammography. And in Taiwan, where I'm getting treated, it's um, 45 and I'm 37. So I was just thinking if I had waited for three more years, you know, I'm relatively early. So how does one reconcile with advice from medical doctors, because I understand there is a correlation between increased risk. Like, is it just do as much tests as you can early or? I think anybody who's the owner of breasts should learn how to do self-breast examination. There's plenty of information online. And for a woman to start doing that in their early 20s is a a good idea. And... uh, what about uh, liver cancer? Now, liver cancer is caused by toxins, alcohol is one of them, and uh, inflammation of the, of the liver. So one can get you know, more apt to have cirrhosis, scarring of the liver. The liver, uh, when inflamed, heals with scarring, and that scarring uh, greatly diminishes the liver's function to filter out blood. And so blood vessels can be dilated in the esophagus. And, uh, patients with uh, cirrhosis can have bleeds. So generally, that's the most important liver problem. But with uh, chronic alcohol use, uh, somebody can get primary cancer of the liver. This risk is greatly increased if they've got hemochromatosis, which is iron storage disease. So if they've got too much iron in their bodies and they drink alcohol, that increases uh, even more so their risk of liver cancer. And what you mentioned earlier, the liver scarring, is that connected to alcohol or what causes liver scarring? There are many things that can do so. Hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C are major causes of inflammation of the liver and that can lead to cirrhosis. But the main cause of cirrhosis in society tends to be alcohol abuse. Alcohol abuse, especially if it's associated with poor nutrition, uh, with increasing alcohol usage, there can be decreased absorption of B vitamins and other nutrients. So if somebody's consuming alcohol on a routine basis, not a bad idea to take a uh, multivitamin. Again, under their doctor's uh, guidance, what we're having here is a conversation, a common sense conversation about about alcohol, uh, though obviously this should not be construed as advice to any individual. The, the course that they take with regard to their health, uh, needs to be something in conjunction with their own personal physician. Sorry, again, why is it bad to have the liver um, cirrhosis? So the question is, why does cirrhosis suck? (laughs) And the answer is, is that uh, normally uh, blood from our our gastrointestinal tract that is carrying nutrients and potential toxins uh, flows into the liver from either above or below, okay? 
Now, if you scar the liver, the pressure, normally it's a low pressure system of the blood going into the liver, you have these dilated veins throughout the gastrointestinal tract with decreasing liver function. The liver is also intricately involved in the blood clotting process. So people who abuse alcohol are more apt to have bleeding problems. So if you take these dilated blood vessels in the esophagus and you add some decreasability to clot, people can start throwing up blood, which is often fatal. It's a very dangerous uh, circumstance. And when you say too much alcohol, because I, I remember, Amy Christine, just you know, in general, you said your level of alcohol consumption, uh, wine consumption, me too, I don't really drink other types of alcohol. In this case, for example, Pat, like how much is too much? Because I think everyone's definition is a little bit different, no? Especially people who work in the trade. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, the joke among doctors who like to drink wine would be, you know, the patient needs to find a, a doctor who drinks who drinks more than them. So that would make their alcohol consumption to be moderate. But as Amy said, a- Amy mentioned in her paper, uh, sex matters, that women metabolize alcohol differently than, than men do. And uh, women are at increased risk at the same alcohol consumption level of developing alcoholism, of developing cirrhosis. So moderate, and and this moderate uh, definition has changed within the last decade, certainly within the view of public health uh, officials and cancer specialists. Moderation used to be two eight-ounce glasses of wine for a man, one for a woman on a daily basis, and those numbers have come down. And we're talking about populations. So there are individuals who are just made of better genetic stuff, who can drink a couple bottles of wine every day and never have a problem with it. On the other side of the coin, there are people who have a different set of genes and different set of enzymes who run into health problems drinking a, a much smaller amount. Right. And Amy, you also had some statistics about liver cancer. Well, these are just following the guidelines that that Pat was discussing. Okay. Um, there was a study published by the National Institute of Health that um, a man can consume like a really large amount of what I would consider a large amount of alcohol daily, a liter of wine or more over a really long period of time, like 20 years, in order to cause really severe or life-threatening liver damage. Ladies, however, can't consume that much. We can consume half or a quarter of that. And unfortunately, it's possible that we will end up with the same amount of liver damage as a man who consumed an entire liter a day for 20 years. So women, we could be doing damage with our liver just by consuming a couple of glasses of wine a day, certainly increasing our risk of cancer. And one of the things that I wrote in my paper is I'm, I'm really not trying to be alarmist about this. As Pat said, you know, there are some women, we look at somebody like Julia Child, who we know would, would drink copious amounts of wine every day and have a gin martini. And she died at the ripe old age. I think she was in her 90s and um, with no health problems. So it's just about making a decision for yourself and with your doctor. And for women, unfortunately, we have to um, take care of ourselves a little better than men do. It's just the way it is. And then there are other factors that are. Uh, that come into play. Uh, Tylenol, acetaminophen, is a liver toxin. So it's a taboo. Somebody should never be drinking alcohol and taking Tylenol uh, at the same time. That can cause liver issues. Like I I said before, uh, having a balanced diet, possibly taking a multivitamin may decrease the risk of some of these issues. Having other sources of these healthy polyphenols, green tea, 
dark chocolate, coffee, fruits and vegetables have been proven to be protective of the liver. So okay. if somebody's going to, going to consume, consume alcohol, uh, make sure you're consuming fruits and vegetables, green tea, dark chocolate. These are all things that will help protect their livers. Sorry, just to say like chocolate, green tea, all of that is also in moderation, right? It's not like I should be eating dark chocolate like five bars a day. Pat, please say yeah, that I, I can eat five bars of dark chocolate a day. Well, I was going to say three because five is a little too much for me anyways, but three, <laughs> not too much. <laughs> but Paul, you know, I think the, the key is having it all in balance. What is interesting is that the health benefits of green tea are also related to dose. And it just seems the more, green, you know, somebody shouldn't be drinking five liters of green tea a day. But drinking uh, uh, four cups gives you more protection than two cups. Drinking six cups of green tea a day gives you more protection than drinking four cups. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of green tea. And I see, I just want to tell you that I, I, was, I talked to my doctor about this acetaminophen issue in the liver and being in the wine business. And I don't remember if I put it in my paper or not. I, m- I might have deleted it from there. But she told me because I, I, was, I was taking, as we do all do as women for menstrual cramps, I was taking ibuprofen and then taking acetaminophen on top of that because the two don't, I don't know the right word, Pat, what, they don't contradict each other. Um, you, you're allowed to take both of those at the same time. However, I would then like say, I I would then say, oh, I'm going to have a a glass of two glasses of red wine and then my cramps will go away. I'll have acetaminophen, ibuprofen and two glasses of red wine, done deal. So my doctor said, just don't consume any alcoholic beverages within 18 hours of taking Tylenol. So you can, you can have Tylenol or acetaminophen or um, paracetaminophen, I think is what it's called in, in Europe, but you just want to wait probably a full day before you consume any alcoholic beverages. Probably best to avoid it altogether though. I'd like to move on to talking about maybe what would be, you know, I know, uh, Amy, Christine, you kind of gave a general guideline, which I appreciate it. Again, it's, you probably should talk to your doctor about everything, but what would be a quote unquote healthy consumption look like? Well, for me, I can't obviously speak for anybody else about what healthy consumption would be. It would be great if I only had one glass of wine a night and that made seven glasses of wine per week. My doctor would be very happy with that that probably isn't in the program for me. I have decided not to consume alcohol at least two days a week. It's usually three days a week. And then on the four nights that I do consume alcohol, I try, my husband and I will split a bottle of wine. I try not to have more than two glasses. I try to let him have a little bit more. For me, it's about these very small reductions in consumption that I feel like can really add up over time. If we just take two drinks a night out for a year, we're down 730 drinks, right? If we just avoid two drinks and like, that's, that's incredible. I mean, we can avoid uh, 730 (laughs) drinks a year. So I think it's just about slowly taking that consumption down. I would um, take Pat's advice on this more than mine. And again, in a common sense way, uh, lifestyle changes that one can attempt seldom work if they're really draconian unless somebody has, has remarkable motivation, okay? And there's a tendency for people to have a change and then they slip slide back to their usual uh, patterns. So for a woman who's consuming alcohol on a daily basis to, to start off with the Amy plan and saying, okay, fine, two days a week, I'm not going to consume alcohol. And uh, on the other other days, there'll be a limit, one or two glasses. 
that's a that's a very nice starting point. Uh, so again, it depends upon somebody's medical history, right? Uh, so if somebody's come down with breast cancer, let's say, so so we're talking to breast cancer survivors in both of you. I would say look at the other risk factors. You know, uh, does somebody smoke? Are they overweight? Are they exercising? As well as the alcohol consumption, and then try to move that lifestyle in a healthier direction. For me personally, even before all of this, I started bringing my own. Sometimes at wine dinners, I feel bad asking for people, but I kind of started bringing my own spit cup, and. You know, I think that has helped. So if I, because sometimes you just kind of drink without even thinking. So if I, let's say, spit, does that not count towards the cups of the glasses of wine per, per week? Do you absorb alcohol through your, uh, the mucous membranes in your mouth? And so uh, if you're doing a lot of tasting and spitting, you will absorb the equivalent of a glass or more of wine. I mean, there have been times when, and I'm sure both you and Amy can attest to the same thing, being at a trade tasting, going around and tasting 75 wines in a few hours. Different times that, you know, even though I've not swallowed anything, I felt the uh, the effects of some alcohol. If you're tasting and spitting, it will reduce it. It's just, you know, difficult to do that in most social circumstances. At a wine dinner, people would probably be, be more welcoming of that. Wine trips, by the way, are one of my favorite things in this entire world. And there's nothing as delightful as being with uh, friends of mine, going to new wine regions, tasting wines and spitting, uh, going to vineyards, uh, having wonderful food from the region, and then drinking the wines from that region with that wonderful food. The problem is that one usually goes on these things for a week or so at a time. And uh, the healthy aspects of one's diet and lifestyle frequently are thrown out the window of the bus. That's very true. And I see if I could just end on something, which I think is, I love that your podcast is not only about wine, it's about humanity and that there is a kindness that we can show each other. This isn't my idea. I saw this on Instagram the other day, how nice it would be if we were at a party together or a, a, a wine trade event and we asked for a glass of water and somebody just brought us a glass of water instead of asking us why we weren't drinking. I think if we can extend that kindness to each other to just not say, oh, you're not having wine, why not? Allow us not to have wine, allow us to drink a glass of sparkling water instead or a cup of coffee or tea or whatever we might have to take a break and to not pressure each other into consuming more than we might want to consume. That's my, my, my advice to everybody. And that one, and once that I will take that advice myself, I will stop asking people why they're not drinking. Yeah. And um, yeah, thank you so much to you both. I've, well, obviously this came from, you know, kind of selfish reasons because I was like, I had no idea, you know, wine had, you know, had a, a relationship with cancer. So is there anything else that Amy or, or Pat you'd like to end with? I really appreciate both of your time. Yeah, for those people listening, again, take away the, you know, the uh, common sense message of, you know, strive to make some changes in your lifestyle, whether or not you're 21 years old or you're 65 years old, to um, have fun doing some exercise, try to get some control over the direction that your weight has gone in. There's a tendency as we get older to get heavier and to try to eat healthy and um, 
and drink with an eye towards both moderation and a couple of days off of alcohol per week. Thank you so much, Amy, for being uh, Pat and I together. Thank you so much to you both. Thanks, I see. We really appreciate being able to talk about our, our cancer message here, our wine and cancer message here. Thank you. It was, it, it was fun talking to you. And I, you know, I hope this doesn't come off as, as lecturing, but more of, hey, these are some things that you can do to make your lives a bit better and a bit longer. Yeah, mm-hmm. or even just to be aware, because for me, it just was really shitty that I wasn't even aware of this. So I think knowledge is power. So you can make your own decisions that work for you. But if you don't know, then you don't know. So again, thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Great to talk to you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, suggestions for topics or interviewees, please reach out on Instagram at engraftedpodcast or on our website at engraftedpodcast.com.